So we are in the final week of the series we've titled Imitation Generosity, and we titled it Imitation Generosity because it can be fairly easy to fake generosity, and uh, it's just not just about outward appearances. It's not just about following a few rules. It's about the condition of our hearts, and to be a true, truly generous person as Jesus is generous is to model our life and our generosity after him, and that's not an easy thing to do. That is something that we will strive to do the rest of our lives. That is something we as a church will strive to do the rest of our existence because every day we can confess we are not yet the generous church, the generous people God desires us to be. At least not yet. Because He desires for us to look, live, and love more like His Son in all areas. And so we've said in this series, we do that not to earn his favor, we already have his favor, because we serve a most generous God, the one who held back nothing but gave his son for us. He is the truly generous one. And in the second week of this series, we studied the fact that we should be intentional, that we should decide in our own hearts how we should give, not by compulsion or out of guilt, but from a heart of gladness, in response to his love, and that we should take pains to plan and to prepare to be generous. And last week we talked about how that happens step by step by step, that we are not yet the generous church or the generous people God desires us to be. And so each day we wake and we confess that and we take a step and we take a step knowing that he's continually working in us and through us, doing things that we on our own are incapable of doing. When you look at the needs in the world today, when you look at the needs just in our area, the homeless situation, the the poverty in our area, it can be overwhelming. And then when you start to add into that the, the needs around the world, and you start to read statistics that make your head spin, and, and, and maybe you haven't seen these, but maybe you have, and, and you've wondered how in the world will these ever be fixed? How in the world will we ever solve these problems? Will these problems ever be fixed? And you wonder, God, do you see this? Do you see this? What, 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 what are you doing about this? How is it that we could make a difference? And sometimes you can walk away feeling like, overwhelmed, like this is absolutely just impossible. There's nothing I can do. What, what, what good can I do with what little I have? I mean, I'm, I'm tapped out. I mean, I don't know what else to do. And there's an old African proverb that says, if you think you can't do a lot with a little, just spend one night in a closed room with a mosquito. You can do a lot with a little. In fact, Jesus says it this way. He says, what's impossible for you is possible with God. What's impossible with you is possible with God. And in today's story that you heard read, we saw an example of that. That story of the feeding of the 5,000 that JT just read from John's Gospel. We see Jesus doing quite a bit with very little. What seemed impossible to his disciples was possible with Jesus. And so today we want to look at that story because I believe there's some things that we can learn 
about what it is to be generous and how God can do a lot with just a little if we will but trust him, if we will but go to him. And so today we want to look at that story in the Gospel of John. But here's the interesting thing about that story. This is the only miracle of Jesus' recorded in all four Gospels. This miracle is the only one. It's recorded in John and Matthew and Mark and Luke. And the interesting thing about the story as recorded in all four Gospels is that you get information in one that you didn't get in the other. There are things that John's Gospel gives us about that event that Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't tell us, like names and times and exact places. But there are things that Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us about the story that fill in some gaps that you you can identify that you don't see in the text of John, but when you read the other stories, you're like, well, wait a minute, that that seems like there's some time has passed here. And so this week I went through and just sort of ordered it in timeline fashion to sort of take a look at it from that perspective, and it was fascinating what I saw. And so I would encourage you this afternoon, this evening, this week, open the Bible. Look at those stories. What I I want to share with you this morning is just a tidbit of what what is seen in the text. But I think we can see some things that Jesus is teaching his disciples, and I think therefore teaching us how it is we can trust him and how it is he can do what it is that he does through us. But take some time, read it. Scholars tell us, Jewish rabbis teach us, that if something's repeated in a text like one word or phrase over and over and over again, that that's an identifier that you should pay attention This miracle recorded in all four Gospels, the only one, you should pay attention to that. There's a lot more there than than meets the eye. But this morning, I want to just take us through these, these Gospel accounts just to talk about this impossibility that we see. What we see in John's Gospel is that he tells us when it happens. He tells us that it's happening at the time of the Passover, right before the Passover, The other Gospels' accounts don't give us that. We're told this is the second Passover, so we know this is about two years into Jesus' ministry. There's still a Passover to come, the final Passover that he will attend in Jerusalem. But this is the second one. And so we know he's been ministering for two years, which means people, the word has spread, that he might be the Messiah, the long-promised Messiah because he's healing the sick and the blind and the leprous and he's raising the dead and he's healing the blind and and he's doing all these things that you would expect a Messiah to do, but he's also doing some things that you wouldn't expect a Messiah to do, like hang around with tax collectors and sinners. And so people are still trying to figure out who this guy is. And so Jesus and his disciples were told, go up to this hillside. But John says, sometime after this, Jesus crossed the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. Sometime after what? John doesn't tell us that, but Matthew and and Mark and Luke tell us that. They tell us that John the Baptist has just been beheaded. And it was just after that that Jesus takes his disciples to a secluded place, we learn in the other Gospels, to a place out in the wilderness, not populated, away from villages, to a solitary place to just probably mourn the death of his friend and his, his cousin. And we're told as they cross the lake in the other Gospels that the disciples see all these people and they wonder, how are we going to feed all these people? But John tells us something different. 
John tells us as they start to go up the hill, Jesus turns around and sees a multitude of people following him. Remember, they've been wondering about him, and now thousands, hundreds, thousands of people are flocking to Jesus to find out, is he the Messiah? Is, is, is he the guy? And we're told in John's gospel that Jesus turns around and sees all of these people coming to him. And we're told that he teaches and he heals as they come. But in John's gospel, we get something a little bit different. It gives us some names. And we're told that Jesus is teaching and he's healing. And he turns to Philip and says, Philip, when we got off the boat, I didn't see a Panera, did you? I don't see anywhere to buy food for these people. Where are we going to get food to feed all of these people? And you can see Philip, right? Like, like I have no idea where we're going to get food to feed all these people. You brought us out here. And, and Philip's just like, well, we don't have any money. You know how much money it would take to feed all these people? We don't have money like that. It would take a year's wages to feed all these people just so they could have a bit, so they could have a bite. We don't have that kind of money. Even if there were a store out here, we don't have that kind of money. And Jesus turns to Philip and says, you feed them. And, you know, it's like, what? And Jesus turns around and starts teaching again. And, and he kind of goes back to the, the disciples. And, and he's like, what are we going to do? And, and, and they're like, what did he say? And he said, well, you feed them. He's like, we feed them. We don't have anything. And he just keeps teaching. And now in John's gospel, it says, well, then Andrew went up and said something to him. But there's a time gap there. Because in the other gospels, we read that later in the day, after Jesus had been teaching and healing, as it was approaching late in the, e late in the afternoon, that the disciples went to him. And John tells us that was Andrew. So Andrew, after probably the whole day as he's preaching longer and longer and longer, I didn't ask you to bring a lunch. They preached longer. And they're wondering, you know, if they, if he, if they left now, they could probably make it home and feed themselves. But he keeps teaching. We need to tell him. He needs to send these people home. There's, we have nothing to feed them with. Who's going to tell him that? So Andrew draws a short straw, and he goes up to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, you know, it's pretty late in the day. You've been talking for quite a while, and um, you need to send these people home because there's, well, there's no food for them to eat. You need to send them home. And, and he turns around to him and says, well, you feed them. And, and, and you get the picture from the other Gospels that, you know, it's like, well, now what? And he goes back to the other side. You can picture, right? He goes back, and he says, well, what did he say? He said to feed him. Well, did you tell him we don't have anything to feed him with, Andrew? And he's like, no, I didn't tell him that. Well, go back and tell him we don't have anything. He's like, you go back and tell him. You know how he is. I'm not going back to ask him. And so you get this picture that they sort of put their heads together, and like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And so you get the idea from all the Gospels that they must have, like, scoured the crowd. Now, in the, just a, a side note here. You know, it says feeding of the 5,000. John's gospel tells us there were 5,000 men. 
Right? But if you've read the other accounts, it says there are 5,000 men, not including the men and the women. So there's more than 5,000 there. In fact, scholars say there's 20,000 would be a safe number. So think of like Allstate Arena, that many people. You know, and they, they're putting their heads together. Well, somewhere amongst all these people, there's got to be some food. If we collected it and we could redistribute it, maybe that'll work like that. And so that's what they do, probably. They go throughout the crowd and they scour and they see if they can find any food. And what, that, what happens? We're told John tells us that they come back and they've got a little boy who's got five loaves of bread and two fish. And you, you can say, like, so Jesus, this is all we've got. This isn't going to feed anyone. This, this would barely feed a family, let alone all these people. And Jesus finally says, okay, have them sit down. Have everybody sit down and bring the bread and the fish to me. And so that's what they do. They have everyone sit down. They bring the bread and the fish to Jesus. And we're told that he lifts his eyes toward heaven and he blesses his heavenly father. Like, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for these five fish, or these five loaves of bread and these two fish. What's impossible with man is possible with God. And he calls his disciples to him, and one at a time he gives them a basket of fish, and another basket of fish and bread, and another basket of fish and bread, and another basket of fish and bread. And they go throughout the crowd feeding everyone, and they just keep coming back, and the bread and the fish just keep coming out. And you get the picture that people are amazed that this is happening. Jesus provides enough bread and fish to feed a crowd of 20,000. And the other gospel says they ate until they were satisfied. John says they ate as much as they wanted. And then we're told, and when everybody had enough to eat, Jesus sent them back out into the crowd to collect the pieces because we don't want to waste anything. And they go back throughout the crowd collecting all the pieces and they come back to Jesus and they have 12 baskets full of pieces. God not only provided for the crowd, he provided for his disciples. It's an amazing story. And the place was abuzz because word spread that he fed all these people with five loaves of bread and two fish. Could this be the Messiah? You see what Jesus can do with just a little bit? You know, the smart thing to do would, would have been when Philip, when he said to Philip, you know, where are we going to buy bread? Philip would have been a great response. I don't know, Lord, what would you like to do? What would you have us do? But right away, Philip is like, I have no idea. I think it's impossible. We can't feed him. We've only got five loaves of bread. We've only got two fish. It's impossible. We can't do it. But we see in this story a miraculous thing from Jesus. He does what they could not do. He provides for everyone. But in this story, we see some things that I, I think are worth noting. Who provides the fish and the bread? 
little boy brings it, right? But where did he get it from? Who provides, the fi- who provides all fish and bread? Maybe that's a better way of saying it. God provides everything. None of the disciples had anything, but they went out and they found it, and they brought it to Jesus, and Jesus did much with it. God provided the fish. God provided the bread. And then what did he say? You feed them from what I've given you. You feed them. And that's what they did. They went out and they trusted Jesus. And they fed the crowd from what God provided them. From what little God provided them. He did much with. If you're thinking that I've got so little that it can't make any difference, when we dedicate it to the Lord, who knows what Jesus will do with it and what he can accomplish with just five loaves of bread and two fish, what he can do with a half an hour, an hour of your time, what he can do with with your offering, what he can do with your attention, with your life. What could he do with your life? Not just your life, but our lives. What could he do with it? If he could do that with just five loaves of bread and two fish, he could change the world, couldn't he? What could he do with just 12 men? He could change the course of history. And that's exactly what he did. And in this story, we see the heart of God. That he not only sends his son into the world to die for us, but he continues to send his disciples into the world to meet the needs of the world. To give the world water where it doesn't have water. To give the world food where it doesn't have food. To give the world clothing and jobs where there is none. He tells his disciples then, as he tells us now, you feed them, you clothe them, you give them water. And his church has responded. And he is recreating his son in the lives of the people in his church. And with just a little bit, his church is changing the world. Now the task is huge. The problems are immense. But nothing is impossible with God. To truly serve and and meet the needs of people, we need to have the heart of Jesus. We can't do it on our own strength, in our own minds, with our own resources, but with God, all things are possible. If we will lift our eyes and see the needs around us and understand that Jesus is calling me to feed them, to clothe them, to give them water, to meet needs, not just across the oceans, but here in our neighborhoods and in our cities. He's calling us to meet those needs. You feed them, he says. You feed them. And his church is responding. Organizations like World Vision are not just bringing water and and jobs and, and food and education, but they're bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to make a difference in the world. They're not only bringing water, they're bringing living water. Not just bread, but the bread of life but they are meeting the physical, practical, everyday needs of a world hurting, of people dying because the water and the food isn't in the right place. And he's telling us, get it to the right places. Feed them, clothe them, 
And organizations like World Vision are doing that, and, and they're doing it through you and your generosity. Watch the difference that that's making. And organizations like World Vision are taking your five loaves and two fish, and they're getting it to the places that it needs to be. They're taking the little that we have, and they're making a huge difference in the world. There are 850 million people in the world that don't have clean, access to clean drinking water. But in the last 10 years, 100 million people have gained access. World Vision is the largest non-governmental provider of clean water in the world. The World Vision can take what little we have and do great things with it. Organizations like PADS and Pantries in Naperville and Lyle, they can take the little resources we have, our time to serve, and, and can get it to the right places. God is tapping on our hearts through this series, and he's saying, you can do more. What might be impossible with you is possible with God, if you will but trust me. If you will but understand the generosity of the God you serve and, and take time to be intentional and, and steward everything I've given you, not just a portion, but all of it, so that you can get it to where it needs to get, so that you can feed them. God can do much with a little. And I just thank him every day for the generous hearts that he's created here at Trinity. If you're here for the first time today, you've walked into a church that has a generous heart, that sees needs not just in the community but around the world in places like Bolivia and Estonia and Israel and, and Norway and India and Africa, and God has broken our hearts for those needs, and this church continues to step up and continues to step up and continue to do things that'll just blow you away when you find out about it. You know, the last two years, We've provided a team to run in the Chicago Marathon. You guys have heard me talk about it. And two years ago in 2018, we had six people sign up to run in the Chicago Marathon. Six people. And last year, I had a, I had a dream that maybe we could get 10 people to sign up for the Chicago Marathon. And we got six people. And so this year, I'm thinking, wow, if we could get 12 people this year, that would be amazing. And so last week... We asked World Vision to come, and, and Carrie was here last week. If you weren't here, you should go back. And I don't know, we didn't record that anyway. You should go back. And she encouraged people after every service to gather over here to talk about signing up for the Chicago Marathon. And, and most people were like this, like if I don't, she doesn't see me, they won't, they won't notice. And, and I could never do anything like that. And I watched that happen, and I'm like, we could possibly get 12 because there were people after every service that signed up. And I was like amazed. Sunday night, Carrie sends me a text. She says, Tony, you want to know how many people signed up at Trinity last week, or today? Because her counterpart, Josh, was over at Kimberly Way, our other campus across, across town. You want to take a guess how many people signed up last Sunday? Try 40. Right? That's what I said. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. 40? 40 people. And if I told you some of the names and you knew, you'd be going... That's, they're not a runner. But God tugs on the heart and the people of Trinity respond. And, and I was talking to somebody this morning who's like, I'm not a runner. All week, tried to get people to talk her out of it. And everybody's like, oh, I think that'd be a great idea. She went to her doctor. Oh, you know my knees. He's like, no, I think it'd be great for you. God can do 
amazing things with just a little, but just like running a marathon, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard to give from what we have, to give what we have that we had plans for is going to be hard. But to see people thirsty and hungry and dying from a lack of when I have so much, I mean, that just doesn't sound right, does it? So what are we going to do with the five loaves of bread and two fish that God has given me? What am I going to do with it? Together, we have to pray every day. And we have to confess, God, I am not the generous person you desire me to be yet. But with your help, with your help, I can be more like your son today. We are not yet the generous church God desires us to be. Not yet. Every day we can pray that prayer. Every day we can confess that. Every day God is calling us to feed them, to clothe them, to give them water. And he's calling us to do it. And it's going to take hard work and it's going to take sacrifice. But just like the disciples who got to walk throughout the fields and, and see the stories and, and see the people full and, and be served by that, we get the opportunity to see God's amazing gift used through us. What would have gone to buy a pair of shoes could feed a family for a year. We are not yet the generous church God is calling us to be. We will continue to lean into this. We will continue to strive to look, live, and love more like Jesus in all aspects of our life. I pray you'll just, God continues to do that through you, and, and, and what he has in store for us, I can only imagine. But I, it's, I know it's more than we can imagine. I know that's more than we could ever dream. I can't wait. Would you pray with me?